Sun Life Community Church came into being as the result of a compelling vision for a different kind of church, interested in what we call the Sun Life, experiencing and sharing the life of God's Son. Perhaps your heart is burdened these days. We invite you to allow the Word of God through the words of this message to bring rest to your soul and joy to your heart. And in light of what I'm going to share a little bit later in the message, I want you to know how I value you, how I value our worship team, how I value the work of the Holy Spirit who is involved every week putting our time together together. And we praise him and bless him and and just further anticipate uh, his work in our hearts. At this point in our service, we will dismiss our boys and girls in elementary school, our young men and women in our youth Sunday school class to uh, their study of God's word, even as we give ourselves to uh, that study ourselves. Let's bow in prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, it's a marvelous thing to, for me to stand in front of this body of worshipers right now and to really believe the hosts of heaven have joined in with us for they praise the Almighty God purely and fully, completely, and yet it's an inexhaustible need that they have to do so praise you, to worship you, to honor you, to adore you. Father, we can catch that by the person of your Holy Spirit who, who links us to the heavenly realms themselves. And Father, I can believe that even the hosts of heaven would just lean forward a little bit to hear what's about to be shared, what the word of God has to say to us this morning. For your word is true. Your word cannot be broken. We rely upon it. We stand upon it even as you stand behind it. So Father, bless us now. Open our minds and our hearts, our wills and our emotions that we might take in what you have for us. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Oh, I tell you, what a month. What a month to focus our attention upon the people we live with and fellowship with here at Sun Life Community Church. It's our membership month, the month of February. It's the month during which a brand new version of our Sun Life Community Church congregation is discovered. We're in the process of doing that. Just finding all you dear ones who say, I too am a follower of Jesus Christ. I too, along with these others, feel that this is the place where God would have me find my earthly Christian fellowship. And I commit myself to it. This is the month to talk about the very people God draws together in this place. And so we'll continue in this little series of messages for a few more weeks. We've titled it, People to Live With. That's what we do. We don't spend 24-7 with each other, but sometimes the moments we spend together in church, the moments we spend together in cell group, the moments you might spend together unexpectedly in the grocery store aisle, 
those are moments that can just kind of live on in, in your life and encourage you for a long, long time. We live with one another. And very special kind of people are these that we live with in this place. Here's our key scripture again. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27, Paul says, Now you... Now, he was writing to the church in Corinth, but down through the years, God has preserved his words. And when we read it, these words by the Holy Spirit are coming right to us. You, Sun Life Community Church, are the body of Christ, and each of you is part of it. None of you are just filling a space. All of you, each of you is a part of this thing called the body of Christ in this place. So far, we've told ourselves as we've looked through the scriptures that the people who make up Sun Life Community Church are reborn people. Reborn people, new life in Christ. The people who make up Sun Life Community Church are resilient people. And they are responsive people. And just last week, as we thought about some very, very important things, we recognize they are, we are reflective people. Well, here's today's key identification. The people who make up Sun Life Community Church are resolute people. How many of you had that on your R list? I wonder what he's going to do next. I wonder what R words there are. They're resolute people. That means, you got it right there on your sheet, they are people who are steadfast and sure. People who stand strong in the midst of life's ever-changing circumstances. These are great people to know. People who don't bail out, give up, walk away. They are steadfast and sure. They stand strong in the midst of life's ever-changing circumstances. So therefore, identifying these as truly, uh, uh, or this is truly a characteristic of New Testament believing people, here's the verse, today's key verse, the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth, he says this to them, therefore, stand firm, be that kind of people, stand firm, let nothing move you, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Identify yourself with Jesus Christ. Identify yourself with the work he's doing in the world and just give yourself to it. That's an incredible directive. That was in the very first century. We're now in the 21st century. What incredible insight into the challenge that life in this fallen, broken world frequently brings. Life brings us moments where we need to either f stand firm or cut and run. Paul says stand firm every time. Life in a fallen, broken world generates one situation after another where a believer's faith will be tested, where something undesirable and seemingly unacceptable has happened, where the ability to understand has not been given where temptations to throw in the towel and even doubt God and return to the best interpretations and vain explanations of men or to the dictates of our own self-indulgent human flesh will arise. 
the scriptures. And the members of Christ's true church do not deny that such times and such temptations will arise. This world is called fallen and broken and even cursed for a reason. It is all those things. What the scriptures declare, what the members of Christ's true church do is, in the midst of such a world and the circumstances it brings, they stand firm. They let nothing move them, though many things might distress them. They continue by faith, if by nothing else, to give themselves fully, that is, heart, soul, mind, and strength, to the work of the Lord, to the amazement of those around them. They are resolute people, people who are steadfast and sure, people who, are stand, who stand strong in the midst of life's ever-changing circumstances. Now, I could stop right there. That's a declaration from Paul, a directive that we recognize life calls forth that kind of response from believers, and we could just say, well, let's be that. Let's be resolute. Let's be people who stand firm. Let's be people who never give up. But have you ever seen a preacher quit after about 10 minutes? So I will show that I'm a resolute person, and we will push right on because there are three things. Of course there are. I'd like to share three situations of life, particularly where God would have us be resolute. They either are or will be challenges to us all. So the Spirit of God would say to us this morning, first, be resolute in the face of death. So we'll focus on the end of things first. Be resolute. Stand firm in the face of death. I share that because that's the very circumstance that challenged the thinking of the early church. It was one of the first situations that they had to deal with and and brought great questions to them. Some of their number had passed away. What about them? How do they differ from unbelievers who pass away? They were all hoping to see the Lord return in their lifetime. What about this thing? And so it was to buttress their understanding of the coming resurrection that Paul wrote the words that we have in today's verse. It's right in the context of these believers facing the death of loved ones. People in the church who didn't live to see the Lord's return as all the rest of them hoped that they would. What about them? And so speaking to those people, Paul wrote those, that directive. Now stand firm. Don't give up on your faith because this has happened. Stand firm. Don't throw it away. Don't begin to doubt. And those words that make up today's key verse that we've read were followed just a verse or two later by this statement, this triumphant statement Paul wrote. 1 Corinthians 15, now verses 55 and 57. He said this first, 
And then he said the verse, stand firm. Here's what he said. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Some of these people were feeling the sting, the disappointment, the confusion, the distress, the loss, the wonderment of the fact that a true believer in Jesus Christ had passed away. And death had done it. So Paul says, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Thanks be to God. What do we thank God for in the midst of this? He says, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what our God does. That's what Jesus Christ has accomplished. God is able to give us victory even over death through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 58, he says, therefore, that's why the therefore is there. Therefore, stand firm. You who still breathe the air around you, you stand firm. Do not despair. Do not give up. Do not throw away. Do not doubt things that God hasn't given you the answers to. Just stand firm and trust and believe. You see, believers, Paul is saying, need to see death as a defeated foe. Christ has triumphed over it. There were believers in other churches who were having the same Struggles. Christian doctrine was being written every time Paul picked up a pen. But before he picked it up and wrote something down and mailed it out, there were believers with wonderment about what does all this mean? How does this happen? How does this fit together? And by the way, what about death? And so Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 and 14, he wrote these words. He says, brothers, brothers, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep. Those who passed away, those who have died, those who have been laid to rest in the grave. We don't want you to be unaware of God's truth. We don't want you to be ignorant about this circumstance because ignorance, unknowingness, can lead to disaster. So Paul says, brothers, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope at all. God. God will bring with Jesus. See, they believed in the return of Christ. That had been passed along from the day of Pentecost. That had been passed along from the day Jesus ascended into heaven and the angel himself said, he will return even as you have seen him leave. And Jesus has said, in the meantime, go and make disciples of all nations. But wait until I send the one who will just in, will fill you and empower you, the Spirit himself. So now they, they believed in the return of Christ. And so Paul says, God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. A believer who passes away, someone who is in Christ, been given, is reborn, has been given that new life, who has had eternal life granted to him. 
those who have died in faith, who have fallen asleep in Christ, God will bring them with Jesus. Paul says, we who are alive and remain, meaning we're still on the earth, we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. You see, that was a big concern for the believers in the Thessalonian church. They were worried about those who had died before the Lord had returned. Paul shared the wonderful truth of the resurrection. And then he shares how it relates to the return of Christ. I would imagine that every one of those early believers thought that this whole work of God was going to be one generation long. After all, the disciples in their lifetime pretty much took the gospel to the whole known world. We've done it. We've taken the gospel everywhere we're aware of, everywhere the Roman roads would take us and Roman armies would protect us. We've done it. Come, Lord Jesus. See, they generally thought, hoped, imagined that the church age would be only one generation long. Just like every true believer in this country, the older and older we get, Oh, we believe the Lord's going to return in our lifetime. My mom did. She wanted it to. She watched the sky and she read the papers. And she'd frequently say, Mark, can the Lord's return be far away now? And the things that she thought 50 years ago evidenced the destruction of the whole world. I'm so glad she's not seeing what's going on now. But you can believe that first generation of people. They believed that they were faithful to the task. If they gave themselves fully to the work of the Lord, the work of the Lord would get done. And the Lord could return and gather his church to himself. And, and so hang on and wait on him. And so the doubt comes in. What about those who didn't live to see that moment that I'm hoping I'm going to see? And so Paul says, don't worry. When the Lord returns, God will bring with him those of your your loved ones who have died in faith. And then you will join them. You'll be caught up off the earth and join with them and him forever. So it's like saying, don't worry. Don't ever think that those who died before the Lord returns have somehow missed out on something. Not so. Those believers who are still alive upon the earth, he says, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For when the Lord returns, the trumpet of God will sound, and all believers who have died prior to his coming will be resurrected and reunited with those who are alive and believe and are caught up with the Lord. And so that's a a marvelous truth. He didn't want them to not know that. And many of them had been ignorant of that until he wrote it down and mailed the truth. So Paul then says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 18, just a couple verses further, 
he says now, encourage. That means put courage into each other with these words. These words about the Lord descending that he had just written to them. You think about those things. You share those things. You remember those things and encourage. If anybody starts to worry about any of this, you remind them of the word of God and put courage back into them. In other words, he's saying, you be a resolute servant of Jesus Christ, even in the face of death itself. And I'll tell you, this, over these many years, I have seen so many of you in this place be resolute, even in the difficult circumstance of having one of your loved ones pass through that doorway into the Lord's presence. Now, secondly, secondly, the Spirit of God would tell us this morning, be resolute in the face of doubt and and disappointment. Now, that's a circumstance into which any believer can easily be led. Long years ago, the psalmist, the psalmist, The Bible doesn't necessarily say this is a psalm of David, but it's a psalm. It might be of David or one of the other anointed ones of his musicians. These words were written, written about God's resolute people. Psalm 112, verse 7, says they, that is those resolute ones, those ones who truly stand firm and let nothing shake them, they will have no fear of bad news. Isn't that a remarkable statement? I love the NIV as it translates at that. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Remember now, bad news is in the eye of the beholder. Bad news is simply the reporting of a situation or circumstance that we would not have chosen for ourselves or for our loved ones if we were the one in charge. That's what bad news is, isn't it? The reporting. We hear some bad news. Well, what is that? It's the report. It's the reporting of a situation or a circumstance that we would not have chosen for ourselves or for a loved one if we were the one in charge. Say, I would have never, I would have never done that. I would have never allowed that if I were in charge. That is bad news. That's an unfortunate situation. That's something that I I just turned my back on. However, you see, the reason that we can remain steadfast, that believers can be resolute in the face of what would be considered bad news, is that we know and we firmly believe that the one who is really in charge is profoundly wise, is lavishly loving, is preeminently trustworthy, even as 
He is mysteriously purposeful. We know that he works in and through all, all things for our good, and so we trust him with it all. What the world calls bad news is simply an opportunity for us to be resolute and steadfast in our faith. This, our earthly companion, Numa, the Holy Spirit himself, enables us to be. And this also, over the years, I have seen so many of you be. This, this very circumstance, Linda and I and others have seen this very week, as Lacey Hill, who's in the hospital this morning, as Lacey Hill, Lynn and Rin's daughter, a mother and a wonderfully radiant Christian young woman as she received a diagnosis this week of MS. Linda and I went in to see her just just after that was kind of, sort of confirmed. She was waiting some further tests on just what degree she might be dealing with, but we were there, and let me tell you, her face in that hospital bed just glowed just glowed as she assured us that she knew her life and her future, whatever it turns out to be, were in God's hands. And that was all she needed to know. That's what she said. It was just news. Just a report. A change of condition. Information about a situation. But Her God was in charge of that. And her life has newly, in a wonderful way, just months ago, been given to him completely. And her face just glowed with with that peace, with that joy, with that commitment that my God has his hand upon me in this circumstance and, and I'm his. Speaking of these things, reminds me of a a dear child of God and a brother in the Lord, Ron Carlson, who was the first convert of this ministry almost 29 years ago. Ron poured his heart and soul into our newly formed Sun Life ministry. He covered many bases for us. Those of you who go way, way back remember Ron. He was our custodian. He took care of every physical need that needed to be made. He was our graphic artist. He did our membership cards. He did the, the things that we visually saw in the church. And, and after 16 years of that kind of service to the Lord in our fellowship, Ron fell strangely ill. It took quite a while to determine what was wrong as his body, almost like one system after another, was just giving out. And then it was discovered that in the little apartment where he lived, the stove in that apartment had been leaking for some long time carbon monoxide. And his entire body was poisoned by it. And little by little, one thing failed and then another thing failed. He suffered much under the hands of the doctors who attended him and who sought to find those early answers for him. And the last time I saw him, he was in the ICU unit of one of our local hospitals. He was in a most weakened condition. But he mustered the strength 
to relate to me the elements of his story that I had not previously been aware of. He told me what he did so that he could make this public announcement to me. And so he told me all these things, all these circumstances, all these situations, all these things that others might call disappointments or maybe even mismanagements of his life and his body. He told me all that so that he could make this statement. His last words to me were these. He said, and Pastor Mark, I want you to know that all of this has not affected my faith one bit. Amen. There was a resolute man standing firm, not changing, regardless of what life situations brought him, because his faith was firm in the plans and purposes of God as expressed through Jesus Christ, his Savior. And Ron passed away before we even discovered some of the wonderful joys of walking with the Holy Spirit. It's just Ron was walking with him anyway. The Spirit was with him. Now, thirdly and finally, I want to just share this this morning. Be resolute. This is the topic, it's, I don't think I've ever heard Pastor Mark use that word or deal with this topic, but here we go. Be resolute in the face of the demonic, in the face of death, in the face of doubt and disappointment. Be resolute in the face of the demonic itself. That's a circumstance that besets what we could call today's woke church. There's a demonic presence in the world. We know that. The Bible declares that to be true. Satan himself, as the prince of the darkness, was present in the Garden of Eden when he led the first woman and the first man into sin, and he permanently marred and scarred the human race. He was present in Old Testament days when he beguiled the people of God and even the leaders of the people of God again and again. He was present in the wilderness as Jesus was being prepared for ministry. He spoke his lies through Peter when Peter challenged the great truth that Jesus had just shared regarding his sacrificial death. He entered into Judas and drove him into the unpardonable sin of betraying the Son of God himself. He became the enemy of the true church of Jesus Christ, and he sought to distort its teachings and confuse its people through all the long centuries that it has functioned on this earth. I believe that he, Satan, today, is approaching the apex of his destructive work. Satan has invaded the organized church, and is fulfilling these words written long ago by the Apostle Paul. Paul wrote them in the first century in his letter to Timothy, instructing Timothy how to watch over the church, how to be a pastor to them, what to be concerned about. And here's what Paul said, 1 Timothy 4.1. He says, the Spirit clearly says. Paul was writing this by inspiration, no question about it. 
the Spirit clearly says that in later times, some would abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. I like the old King James version of that phrase. It's a little bit more alliterative. The King James says, refers to them as doctrines of demons. Now let me clarify some things. I'm not just talking, when I use that phrase this morning, I'm not just talking about the leniency and the laxity concerning the cravings of the flesh that has beset the American church during my lifetime. I'm not just referring to the fact that professing Christians today use language and engage in activities that were absolutely unthinkable to believers of an earlier age. I'm not just pointing out the fact that the part of the population that claims to be Christian has just about as much sexual sin and just about as much marital unfaithfulness and just about as much indulgence in self-gratifying behaviors as the unbelievers around them. I'm not even primarily talking about the fact that a good part of the church crowd in America has come to a kind of peace with, if not outright support for, the desecration of the God-created male-female gender designations and the male-female marriage covenant. The mutilation of a human body for the purpose of self-recreation is simply an exercise of technology gone amok. The fact that announcing a child's gender at birth can be considered a form of child abuse is enough all by itself for God to rouse himself, even as he did in the days of Noah. Surely, the angels assigned God's bowls of wrath are standing at the ready. All of that is going on. But that's not what I would address this morning, primarily. What I'm really talking about, you see, all these other things, all these other things that I've mentioned have primarily been the result of man's fallen sinful nature expressing itself within a culture, even a church culture, that possesses little or no restraint. That's explanation enough for all that list of things I mentioned. But what I'm specifically addressing this morning is the fact that professing members of and leaders of recognized Christian churches are involving themselves in and are perverting the gospel of Jesus Christ by delving into new age spiritual fantasies that are without without a doubt, truly, doctrines of demons. There are Christian musicians and widely known Christian pastors and teachers who are talking about connecting with their spirit guides and who are receiving power and healing from the very stones of the earth that they 
choose, or as they would say, those stones have chosen you. And then they named them. Name those stones with the very things that, that hinder themselves, the very things they would like removed from their lives. They name those stones, carry them with them, and then allow the vibrations generated by the minerals in those stones to draw all negative and emotions from the person. I read some of that just a few days ago. Listen to some people actually teaching and saying those very things. These are teachers who suggest that the New Age movement has stolen away many of the secret truths of the Christian faith. And it is up to us to take them back and regain the very power that God has placed as creator in all material things. I came across some teaching this week regarding the use of sanctified imagination, which encourages a person to imagine yourself in heaven and imagine yourself conversing with Jesus and then courageously and authoritatively declare with the authority of prophecy that what you have imagined is in fact of divine origin. And so you speak these things within the church. You speak these things to one another. For after all, that sanctified imagination is an incredible tool in the hands of God. One of the most prominent of these churches and teachers is located right here in California with a following that is worldwide. It's a church body that continues to publish some of the most popular music that is used in worship services today. I'm not going to name names, but let me tell you this. When you listen to Christian music on the radio, be sure that the catchy phrase that catches your ear, the catchy thought that seems, hmm, like that, see if you can put a Bible verse to it. See if it matches up with anything that you know to be biblically true. Or does it just strike a chord with you? Does it have a tune and a phrase and, a, and kind of put an image in your mind that, that you might find helpful and healing and encouraging? You listen. You ask yourself those questions. Because much of that is coming right out of a... You could go to the part of a bookstore that has New Age teaching and you could find those phrases, those concepts those kind of healing instruments in that section. So you be careful. These are doctrines of demons that have been around from the beginning of time. And now, as Paul told Timothy, they can be found in the, what's called the church. So I can... I can easily imagine myself Satan dancing in the aisles right along with the congregation in such places. 
At such a time, he must feel like the Holy Spirit will soon be commissioning a rewrite of the Bible's final book. The book that currently forecasts God's final judgment upon him. Satan has no intention of going easily. Satan has no intention of bowing the knee and saying, well, when the last thing happens, I'm doomed forever. The Bible tells me so. Like I said, I can just imagine the devil imagining the Holy Spirit saying, we're going to have to send John back and have him revise that last chapter. Maybe revise that whole last book with regard to the judgment and the destruction of Satan and his teachings because it ain't happening. Beloved, there are places where Satan already has the upper hand, where Satan, in effect, is already rewriting the Word of God, is already destroying much of what the Spirit has done and would do in this world. You see, Satan would, and he certainly believes he can, deceive us all. And he would seek to discourage and cause doubt in those that he cannot deceive. Therefore, these words Paul wrote to the Ephesian believers must become the constant commitment of us who live in such times as these. Ephesians 6.11, Paul says, Take your stand against the devil's schemes. There's no greater scheme of the devil than to destroy the church of Jesus Christ and to destroy the true church of Jesus Christ by introducing teachings that have nothing to do with Christ or with biblical realities. And to do that for any of a number of reasons. To fill the place. To be successful. To be likable. Just to survive or to, to just continue to expand one's heart and thought and mind because that's what, that's what enlightened people do. Take your stand against the devil's schemes. You see, being resolute is no small or easy thing. It is not for one who can only stand firm when they're in the company of the majority. The truth is, Oh, my mom knew this truth, and she told this to us when we were little kids. The truth is, fewer and fewer will the true believers be as the time draws near for Christ's return. So don't allow numbers to influence you, and certainly don't depend upon them. Jesus himself once said this, Matthew 7, 14, For small is the gate and narrow the way that leads to life. And only a few find it. That's Jesus. I don't think after any of Jesus' ministries and if Jesus had stayed on earth and actually become a pastor of a local church, I don't think he would meet with other fellow believers and pastors during the week, and the key question be, hey, how many came Sunday? 
How many came? Jesus would say, what does that have to do with it? I one time had 10,000 people with me. I fed 5,000 at a time. And then I got to preaching the real stuff and they fled. All of them. Only my disciples were left. 10,000 to really actually 11. And the women who were of course faithful. What do numbers have to do with it? The truth of it is, there's only a few out of this great, vast, sin-filled world who will go through the small gate, who will become small enough in their own eyes to enter into it, and then who will travel that narrow road and realize there are very few options that it offers. You see, here at Sun Life Community Church, we seek to give people no other reason to commit themselves to Jesus than the fact that he is the Son of God who left the glories of heaven to come and suffer and die for them. And we clearly tell them that he calls them to, complete aban- to completely abandon themselves to him as his spirit leads them to and through that small gate that leads to that narrow way. Forgiveness of sins and the promise of eternal life is the gist of the gospel we proclaim and we stand upon. It's a very limited statement. It's limited to the person of Jesus Christ. It's limited to the specific work he did dying to pay for the sins of humanity, for all who will claim him as their savior. It's limited to him, and it's limited to that proclamation and that declaration and that surrender of ourselves to him, the denial of our own selves, own will, own way, own thoughts, and to simply take up our cross and to follow after him. And to verify everything we're following by the written word of God, lest we get astray with some novel thought of men, even an attractive one. That's what we seek here. That's what we desire here. And with all of that, we desire, the Spirit of God calls us to be resolute, to stick with the plan of God, to stick with the call of Christ, to stick with the person of the Spirit who will walk us faithfully and productively through everything that comes our way. Amen? This too, I have seen Many examples of in this congregation. Here now is today's final thought. Blessed indeed. Blessed indeed is a church body that is composed of people who are steadfast and sure. People who stand strong in the midst of life's ever-changing circumstances. I believe Sun Life Community Church is composed of such resolute people. God bless you. You're people I can live with. Let's bow in prayer. 
Oh, our Heavenly Father, this is a powerful word, a powerful characterization of a person. Father, for a person who by nature is sinful and weak and fallen and stressed, being resolute is impossible. We change with the, with the blowing wind. We human beings go in the direction of the least resistance. We human beings are forever trying something new that might work better than the last. We are anything but resolute by nature. Adam and Eve in their most perfect condition were open to something better. So Father, be resolute whenever we are. Whenever we stand firm, we do not pat ourselves on the back and say, ah, I'm committed. I'll never fall away. No, when we stand firm, we say, praise God. The Spirit of God has a hold of me. The Spirit of God is putting into me some of the very character of Jesus himself who never wavered, who never gave in to the pressure and the stress and the hopelessness almost of the immense task. Oh, Father, but by your Spirit, by your Spirit, a group of people can, as a whole group, become characterized by a, by a resolute nature. Nothing moves them. Nothing deters them from their commitment to Christ. And Father, I pray that increasingly we would be such people and we would know our feet are on a narrow path that, that brought us, that leads from that small gate because it's only Jesus. It's only him. He's the only way. And then his way is the only way to live. Father, we commit ourselves to that. We state our commitment and we pray by the grace of God, by the spirit within us, that we would be resolute in that commitment. If I ask you, I ask you this, in Jesus' name and for the glory of his church. Amen. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.